Hello, everybody. We need a revolution, and we have got a revolution. You're listening to an Inform Life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHD TV. Um, I'm going to bring on right away my co-host for the day, my VP of Informed Choice Washington. It's Bob Reynolds in the house. Hey, Bob. Hello, Bernadette. Glad yeah. to be here. Thank you for joining me today. So I want to give a, a little quick a message in the beginning. The views expressed uh, on this show today are not necessarily those of this wonderful station that hosts us or CHD, uh, Children's Health Defense. Um, but as always, we are so grateful that in this great republic of ours, there are still platforms where free speech exists. So we are grateful to be here today. And um, our wonderful engineer just gave us the news that in the future, we're going to be able to do stream to even more platforms as we're going. So uh, looking forward to uh, finding out more and figuring out how to get that done, um, because we really have got to, to continue this great revolution of information coming forward. This is what it's all about. This is what freedom is all about, getting the word out, empowering yourself. Um, we are a peaceful, powerful movement. And we have to emphasize peaceful because Bob and I today in this first hour are going to be discussing how there is a systemic effort that has been ongoing for quite some time to make this health freedom revolution and the vaccine safety reform movement appear violent, appear dangerous. The ultimate goal, as we see it, and it might sound crazy right now, but by the end of the hour, I think you will see what we see. I truly do believe they would, they, they, meaning the powers that be that, you know, are entangled deeply with the medical and pharmaceutical industry would very much like it to be against the law to not be vaccinated, to express opinions critical to vaccine mandates and on vaccine products. That is where they're heading, trying to criminalize anybody who believes in holistic natural immunity, believes in our God-given right to go to the to the earth to find sustenance, to, uh, to be resilient to disease. Um, so the uh, Gerald Broad, who's our wonderful newsletter uh, writer, uh, focused on our Substack post this week, Bob, on a pretty deep subject. Um, he he was going over the fact that um, anti-racism uh, and anti-Semitism, he was trying to draw these ridiculous uh, ties, right? Um, and before we begin with that, I want to show something. I'm Some of my audience uh, members are familiar with it. I've talked about it before, but I want to show this. I'm hoping I can um, uh, show this. Remember how in 2019, um, I told you all about how I, then uh, my co-president, uh, Drella, and I had attended a University of Washington bookstore event. 
where National Public Radio, the KUOW station, one of their reporters, Isolde Raftery, was hosting an event talking about what it's like to cover the vaccine issue, vaccines in general. And she proceeded, it was all covered. It was weird the way it was recorded and covered by TVW. So it was all captured. She proceeded to get it every word wrong. And I'm telling you, she had everything wrong about the studies, the science, the product capabilities. Um, and so we, we captured that and under fair use license to criticize it, we have up on our Rumble account the entire thing interspersed with facts. So if anybody wants to watch the whole thing, they'll be able to see that. But the little snippet I want to play for everybody right now is, let me go find my tab here, Bob, bear with me just a second. Here we go, share. Um, let me see, talk in my ear here, Bob, to make sure you're seeing. Are you seeing that full screen? Are you seeing that? No, not yet. Not yet. Are you seeing it at all? Oh, you know what? I have to pop back. I'm learning how to do this, everybody. So if you're just listening on the radio, I apologize that you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, there we go. So what she began to do in this little snippet, you you will see. Let's um, make sure the volume is up. I believe the volume's up. Let's just listen to what she has to say at this point. And, and then we'll discuss it. Let me get over here. There, there, are, there are studies, actually, this is really interesting about social responsibility. I find that people who use that to vaccinate um, tend to be a lot more prejudiced, like more racist. And it's not that they started out racist, it's that they're so, there's this a fear, this vulnerability that their children have. And they are afraid when they sort of see brown people they see brown people as these vectors of disease and that that's kind of something that they're actually looking at is that actually vaccinating is a, an anti-racist i think is a really that's sort of a fringe view but i think it's really interesting and that you know there are i'm sure i'm sure so <laughs> i i hope you could hear that it was a little bit low um Uh, she said that there's this idea out there that, and later on she goes to say that most anti-vaxxers are wealthy white women. Um, but she said that wealthy white women fear brown people, fear that they're, and I'm not wealthy, I might have white skin, but you know, um, that fear that brown peoples are vectors of disease and that's why they're anti-vaccine. Is that even a logic? If you fear that somebody's a vector of disease, wouldn't you want to, if vaccines actually were safe and effective, wouldn't you want them to get it, Bob? Oh, you're, you're mute. Let's see if we can get you unmuted there. That, absolutely, Bernadette. I think she's drawing some very gross generalizations there. She even admits in that that's a, maybe a, a, a fringe opinion or one case, but very interesting. Oh, yeah. Time. It, that it, doesn't it, give you an excuse to start going down that pathway, I don't think. It, it's, it, it's nothing in my world. It makes no sense. First of all, if... if, if <laughs> If we, if you, if you feared a group of people and vaccine worked, you would want them to get it, or you would get it yourself to protect yourself. 
Right? What the heck? But if you really, because you've done your homework and you've read the clinical trials and you've read the Institute of Medicine full report and, you know, you watch the the FDA vaccine and related biological meetings and you watch the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization meetings and you follow all the science and you know the vaccine products are not safe and are not effective. It, it, it doesn't make any sense anyway. But so after this event, uh, Drella and I went outside and we looked at each other and we said, we are witnessing the birth of a whole new propaganda campaign that's going to attempt to paint anybody that is critical of a vaccine product or vaccine mandate as racist. And we were really alarmed. And we we talked about it, we wrote about it, but you know, and we're looking around trying to find it, um, but it wasn't bubbling up huge, but this was right before COVID, right? And this was like in the fall of 2019 and then COVID hit. So we, um, you know, we knew it was happening. And then, and then we were seeing also seated in a lot of articles um, and coverage, trying to paint people protesting against certain vaccine issues as being violent, like violent protesters. And that's absolutely absurd. In fact, um, one university professor uh, was trying to draw a parallel between people protesting at a particular event a couple of years ago and violence. And so I, it was Sheila Ely was at this event. Do you know Sheila Ely from, from Vaxxed, from right. Cover yep. Up to Catastrophe, whose son was given two doses of MMR um, and very much injured. I, I texted her, I messaged her. I can't remember how I got a hold of her, but I basically said, you were at this event. Was there any violence? And she, her response to send me a picture of her and some mom is arm in arm with the police. And they're all given like the peace symbol, right? There was no violence, right? The, the police are often some of our best friends because we talk to them. They tell us their concerns about kids' health, their own kids' health. You know, they can't take sides and they have to just do their job. But, you know, um, anyway, I'm leading all this up because as we have seen, Bob, it has been escalating the attempt. We had House Bill 1333 and the attempt there to, to make a link between people who are anti-vaccine as being terrorists domestic violent terrorist extremists. And then we even saw the FBI calling out like parents going to protest certain things, anything they're calling misinformation, disinformation, which is point by point turning out to be true, correct? The, um, you know, masks don't work. It probably came from a lab. Probably it came from a lab. You know, all of these things, um, you know, the truth is coming out. Yeah, I found it amazing, Bernadette, as this uh, bill 1333 was being discussed. And in the original information that Anti-Defamation League had a study that the attorney general was relying upon to keep this bill forwarded. Yes. And and they, they put in violent extremism into their studies. They grafted across the U.S. anti-Semitism, acts of anti-Semitism leading right into, and I think we've showed the graph multiple times on the radio show, kind of hard to show the graph, but you can talk it through, about tying these uh, demonstrations of parents standing up for family rights mm -hmm. and, and linking it directly to violent extremism. It's just a huge leap. And, and I'm, I'm yeah. so glad you found that back in 2019. We mm -hmm. have 
this amazing narrative that's taking place in undercurrent really is not top of mind mainstream, but it's being used to disparage anyone again who questions a vaccine. Right. Yeah. I mean, all of these avenues, they're trying to create this this big net to capture anybody with the goal of what surveillance and intervention to shut you down and, and shut down your liberties if you don't comply and get their products. I mean, it's an absolute gold mine for what's, what's better than gold platinum mine for, uh, for, would, you rather um, be, would you rather be called a conspiracy theorist, a tinfoil hat wearer, or an yeah. anti-Semite? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Those are the things they put on I know. people who question the this, this so-called science, the tobacco right. science of vaccines, is they yeah. hang these hats on us figuratively and literally, and it just drags the whole movement down, and you just can't get honest conversations. Right. Anywhere you see in any his time and period of history where one side is protesting and speaking up and giving speeches and quoting famous people and quoting science and saying that the people are being lied to. And the other side going ad hominem attack saying you're a conspiracy theorist, you're tinfoil hat or you're whatever. Right. The people are always right. Never in history have millions of people stood up against big, powerful people only for it to turn out by, oops, we were wrong. Oh, gosh, those poisons really are good for us. Thank you for spraying them on our food. Thank you for injecting them. This has never happened, right? Um, so, yeah. So let, let's go on now. We're going to kind of the thing that we're discussing here today um, and see if I can do this. Uh, Let's see if I can figure out. Here we go. I'll get better at this, people. Okay. So what we're showing for our audio-only viewers is a study that is uh, published, apparently peer-reviewed. It, it is on the National Library of Medicine's what you know what we call PubMed, where articles, scientific articles, um, get published. It's called Global Vaccinations. New Urgency to Surmount a Triple Threat of Illness, Anti-Science, and Anti-Semitism, and written by none other than Peter J. Hotez, who is being groomed to replace Anthony Fauci, right? That's that's all the scuttlebutt is that he's being groomed. And so the inter my interruption and uh, yeah. interesting context. This is published in the Rambam Maimonides medical journal? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see. I'm going to go over there, Bob, and let's see if we can do a little live online. Let me see if I can find now I got to find that. I'm going to try to click over and find out what that medical journal is all about. Let me look that up real quick. Um, what is it? Is there a description? Is it? Sometimes uh, we might find some favorable articles published in journals that seem a little bit out there. So about us, this is who we are. Um, my, I can't pronounce the name. Somebody named also known as Rambam was one of the greatest arbiters of all time on matters of Jewish law. So apparently it is some sort of um, journal, um, legal journal 
a Jewish legal journal is what I'm surmising from that. So, yes. Yeah. So let's go on. So at the beginning of this, he says, because of rising anti-vaccine activism and some key global policy missteps, we risk eroding more than 70 years of global health gains. This is occurring through an enabled and empowered anti-science ecosystem with anti-Semitism and the targeting of Jewish biomedical scientists at its core. And as I told you earlier, Bob, um, in our conversation before we came on the air, I have no idea the the faith of any scientist of any, you know, involved in the development of any vaccine. Well, I didn't until I read this paper. Right. I don't care. Um, It's you know, I just care about whether or not people are being injured by the product, whether or not the product works. Right. What what what's in the product, how it's manufactured, all those sort of issues. And for him to say that people are anti-vaccine specifically because they know that the people involved may have been Jewish. Who knows that? Nobody knows that. Would you agree? I, I would agree. I, I think especially <laughs> any any scientist that's worth their metal is not in it for any uh, racist or you know race favoring study it's really no. the science and the safety and and the benefits that they might bring to society right and 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 society the public the mama and papa bears the people you know going to bears the people taught you know following the actual science they call us anti-science but you couldn't meet anybody who loves science more than us right bob i mean holy cow we've learned we take classes on how to read studies you know, we might not have PhDs after our name, but that doesn't mean we don't go read and study and learn how to really know what we're talking about, right? I mean, and I don't claim to be an expert, but I know enough, and every citizen of this great nation of ours needs to know enough because I tell you what, we need people to learn that while it's okay to refer to experts to hear what they have to say, it is a dangerous thing to always defer to ex- experts and trust what they're telling you is true. That's how we got into this mess. People were deferring to the experts, you know, and I'd say to them, somebody who's been three times boosted and, and having symptoms, do you know what a lipid nanoparticle is? No, I have no idea. Then what are you doing letting them inject it into you, right? Do your homework. Anyway. Um, well, that's, a, that's why you uh, love the introduction you gave me to Tetiana Obukanich's classes, her book studies. Mm-hmm. And the first book that we read was um, a risk management book. Yes. Um, you remember the title of that? Health? That was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, I think I it was called to, uh, to, to Your Health. And so it was the study of statistics. So whenever you see about, uh, you know, one in 36 or... The, the idea that there's a certain level of safety or a number of uh, side effects for a certain vaccine or any other medical product. Mm-hmm. They have a certain language. It's a definitely, a, it's a medical statistics kind of language. Mm-hmm. And to understand the power of a study and that those p-values that you might see in an article or a journal and a yeah. p-value being low, very 0.001, that's a high-powered study. Mm-hmm. And very often you'll see articles that we read 
with very uh, large p numbers, meaning not uh, very uh, not very uh, accurate, not as accurate as yeah. they could be. A lot more distribution on their results, and so the claims are hard to make. Exactly, it's really and 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 it's pretty simple when you get through the class. Uh, it, it's pretty simple, really, to get quickly through the statistics and to look for other little, uh, you know, sampling errors that they'll be taking. Yes, very good. You learned a lot in that class. I need to, uh, I started taking that and I got too busy and I need to go back. And, you know, if I don't, I'm the kind of person that needs to review things intermittently. I'm Swiss cheese. When I'm really active, engaging with information and I talk about it, I'm standing on solid ground. I, I, I sound like I know what I'm doing and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but, but there's places that I haven't been to in a while or never been. And that's with the holes in my Swiss cheese. So if I step off, that solid, I just fall down the hole there. And I, I try not to venture there and admit when uh -huh. I don't know something, but I, I need to uh, firm up some of my, my knowledge there. Well, but and I guess that book I, that I mentioned was that to your health is the, the counter book to the one that Bill Gates seems to like. And he has in his pictures, how to lie with statistics. Yeah. How to lie with statistics. <laughs> They're awfully good at that. And, yeah. you know, just bring your common sense absolutely bring your common sense. So for instance, there's a CDC study that tries to claim that myocarditis happens more to people from infection than from vaccination. But then you go look at how they set up the study and they, they allow vaccinated people into the category that they claim the myocarditis is from COVID. And the wind, there's like windows of time that they exclude from the study. So if the COVID shot makes you more risk of having myocarditis following a breakthrough infection, otherwise known as vaccine failure, you know, they're not looking at that. They don't have that wrapped in there. And so the study design is so absurd. It's designed so that you can, so that they can say that myocarditis is due to COVID, even, even when all the people in the group are potentially vaccinated. So it's, it's ridiculous. So it's just going round and round the mulberry bush. So let's, let's go on here and kind of um, look a bit more at this, at the language, what he's talking about. So Peter Hotez, Peter Hotez. Um, he says, to understand how this situation evolved or devolved, it's helpful at first to appreciate the transformative properties of vaccines and vaccinations. And here goes the standard uh, skewing of actual history. So as public health interventions, no other technology has been more effective. From widespread and global use of a vaccine, the late 1970s saw the eradication of smallpox. And what's really important here is Smallpox played a very, very small a vaccine, very small role in the eradication of smallpox. Only 10% of the population ever got it. It waned rapidly. It could give people smallpox and it had a very high rate of adverse reaction, which is why they don't give it anymore because the risks um, outweigh any benefit. Um, and what ended smallpox really was isolation because it's highly contagious. So if you had, you were symptomatic, you isolated, quarantined yourself, and that's really what shut it down. Just, you know, circling around good old fashioned um, isolation quarantine. And I know there's a lot of talk out there about 
fear that they're going to start quarantining everybody. And we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's bad to quarantine healthy people because they might um, contaminate somebody. It's another thing to teach all of society. If you're symptomatic, self-isolate. That's only common sense, right? Um, don't spread disease if you've got the symptoms in your, um, so we, we, quarantine and isolation are not necessarily bad things. They're just being abused and misused right now. Get sick, stay home. Get sick, stay home. Right. Exactly. And so then he says, and polio near elimination is a public health problem. And, you know, to learn more about polio, you got to go read Suzanne Humphreys, uh, Dissolving Illusions. It's, it's complicated, but like right now we're seeing because of the polio eradication, um, campaign throughout the world, massive outbreaks of vaccine strain polio leading to paralysis, you know, um, so many issues that they're not pushing out to the public. It's there in the science, but they're not making it widely available. You know, if you live basically, Bob, if you live somewhere with an open sewer and you have inadequate nutrition, um, infections are dangerous to you, right? That's oh, and I'm going to get to that um, that one web page that you provided. I'll get that in a second. I was going to see if there was one more here. Um, oh, the other thing he mentions is uh, Haemophilus B, the Hib vaccine that they give to infants now. I believe this one is a drop, um, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I looked at that one, um, but the studies show. So Himof, I can't pronounce it. Can you pronounce it? Haemophilus influenza type B. Thank you. Um, so type B is just one strain. And the study showed after they introduced this, indeed, it did a good job at targeting the B strain. But because nature abhors a vacuum, other strains emerged and there was um, not a net benefit. So other strains that could be very dangerous or could be lethal moved in. You know, this is what happens. It's play. It's like playing with, especially with bacteria. I've heard it described. It's like whack-a-mole. You whack one down, another one rises up to take its place. Um, and so really you got to address susceptibility to infection rather than just one targeted specific pathogen or protein within a pathogen. Otherwise you're just playing whack-a-mole uh, with, with nature. So I'm going to... Um, Stop sharing here. I want to go back, Bob, and find, oops, what did I go to? I'm so not quick at this yet. I wanted to share with everybody that, that graph that you came up with at our, the wonderful, uh, here we go, learntherisk.org that was started by the wonderful Brandy Bond, who unfortunately uh, we lost, who passed away a couple of years ago. But if you go to learntherisk.org backslash vaccines backslash diseases, you will find these uh, historical graphs that show for the various um, infections that are targeted by vaccines, how once uh, people were had access to good sanitation, flushable toilets, clean water, better nutrition, medical care, that uh, mortality to these diseases rapidly plummeted before the introduction of the vaccine. So natural immunity 
was really doing a great job um, before the introduction of the vaccines. Were there people still dying of them? Yes. Um, are improvements needed to protect people so nobody dies of contagious disease? Absolutely. Um, are vaccines the solution? Well, we're trying to give people the information they need, Bob, to um, to make that decision for themselves. Obviously, we've got our opinion. <laughs> it's it, We believe in informed decision and medical freedom. But it just breaks my heart that parents are making decision on propaganda, on, yeah. on lies. Well, one of the curves that shocks me really is looking at the measles mortality curve and mm -hmm. what happened after World War II and uh, the, the vaccine had not been introduced yet. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at cases versus mortality, cases were on a downward decline, pretty mm -hmm. steady downward decline. And you could argue that's due to, you know, uh, more well-rounded nutrition. Uh, plumbing had been coming indoors or cleanliness was picking up. Hygiene was picking up. And all of a sudden after World War II, a huge decline in deaths per 100,000. Right. And Measles. essentially everybody in the United States, age 15 and older, had lifetime immunity. Right. Um, infants and had passive immunity through their mothers. And the longer the mother nursed, the longer that could last. And it, it really pushed measles susceptibility to the age where it's safest to get it. So you'd have these crop of kids, four, five, six, getting it every year, and they would then feed into those who had lifetime immunity. We had herd immunity. There were still measles deaths in poor countries who had open, and, we, and even to this day, if you're living with open sewers and inadequate vitamin A and vitamin D, you know, and you are immune suppressed, yes, diseases that vaccines target and diseases that vaccines, that there are no vaccines for, children and others do succumb to. So really the foundation of health is where we need to start. And I think about the trillions of dollars spent on COVID. If we had spent that building infrastructure of health around the planet to make sure everybody had clean water and the basic building blocks of nutrition in their diet. Um, yeah. So back to, let's, let's go back to that. Um, to that article. Here we go. Global vaccination. So then he begins weaving in and I encourage people to go read this because he starts pulling in people just because they happen to have Jewish history or, you know, Jewish last names or they are Jewish or whatever. What, again, as we said at the beginning of the show, Bob, What's that got to do? My mother used to say, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? <laughs> what has that got to do with anything of whether or not these products are safe or effective? Hello. So I'm, I'm not even, you know, go look and see what he says. It's ridiculous. Um, and then he goes on to say um, about anti-vaccine uh, a counter movement began to take shape. It, it, it asserted that vaccine caused autism. Well, we know about that ridiculous propaganda that they try to claim it can't when we know very well that they admit 
that vaccines do cause brain inflammation and they admit that brain inflammation can cause brain damage that can lead to the symptoms of autism and the way that autism, autism is diagnosed is through symptoms. Hello. Um, but then he says, um, anyway, that we uh, try to refute, they refute it with claims of studies. And he said, study after study, there's so many of them. And he gives citation five through 10. Well, Bob, several years ago, I worked with Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and we went through, um, let me click over here and try to do this better. We went through um, the Institute of Medicine as it was called at the time. And I forget what they renamed themselves. Um, all of the studies that they were examining to try to draw a conclusion whether or not vaccines cause autism. And we analyzed these things thoroughly. And they, they came down to only five studies that they felt had any weight, five. And here it is, and this was 2011. Here it is 2023, and they're still citing the same five studies. And the biggest one, the Madsen study, that's the one that the IOM has a footnote that says one of the authors of this paper, Paul Thorson, is wanted by the CDC for fraud. He absconded with over a million dollars in grant money and the integrity of this study is unknown. And that's one of the studies they claim has weight and the others, you know, have you know, like you said it, it, earlier, that there are issues with the study design that lessen their ability to inform you of anything. Um, so anyway, uh, so he just goes on and on about the same old trope. Go ahead. A lot, of, a lot of gross assumptions here too, and some inaccuracies mm -hmm. even for a guy who's down and in in the vaccine world. Uh, there was an there was an anti-vaccine movement before Gavi, and he's claiming yes. Gavi caused the anti-vaccine movement to start. Yes. Well, basically, the vaccine, the anti-vaccine movement, could even be said to have started back in smallpox, turn of the century. Oh, people! Ever since it was first done, even with the Chinese, because you know it's not a, it, it is still not a perfect science. In fact, it's becoming less perfect because mm. they're trying to go after go after things in ways they have no idea what they're monkeying with, right. with the and genetic therapies, and they're ignoring the massive harm. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. So he talks about the book that he wrote called Vaccine Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, who is his daughter. And I'm going to leave that alone because I don't like to bring people's kids into this. I, I wish her a happy, healthy life and healing protocols. So, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but um, he talks about how the movement likes to draw what he says are Nazi analogies. Well, because it is very true. And in fact, let's let's jump over to, um, oops, hold on, I did it wrong. There we go. I'm, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna share with everybody the wonderful um, documentaries that are now at Children's Health Defense. Here we go. Put that in there. So never again, there is a fabulous, I forget how many, maybe six part documentary series 
from Holocaust survivor and director Vera Sharov. She was a little girl and put in one of the concentration camps. She knows she lived through this and she has been very vocal about showing that this power grab that is being done by global powers and is being done through the use of trying to make one group of people fear and hate other groups of people and to be okay with them being discriminated against and being harmed and the experiments um, being put on those. And then the white rose is a wonderful uh, documentary that, that Riley um, did a uh, Riley of CHD. I, her last name went out of my head. I just, uh, it's Riley and Sawyer. I always put those two together. You two, Riley, I forgive me. Riley Vujovic. Thank you. Thank you. She's wonderful. She does a lot of the, the filming and editing and, and everything. And, um, she did that white rose with Vera Sharaf. So go, go to CHD TV, uh, look at the movies and there's a whole list of, of movies that they have that are fantastic. So we have never again, um, the white rose uninformed consent. I'm not sure I even got to see that one yet. Um, infertility, a diabolical agenda. And all of these are, I mean, this is just fact, science, truth. You're going to go see and everything's referenced. Um, there's a, there's a documentary film that Andrew Wakefield um, did years ago, who killed um, Alex um, Sportalakis, I can't pronounce the last name. That is such a chilling um, documentary film. Medical racism, the new apartheid, uh, Vax uh, 2, the Vax 2 is available streaming on CHTV right now. And they cover a lot about um, Gardasil uh, vaccine. So that's really a good one for people uh, to go check out. So what he's trying to do, Bob, is, is really, um, really very concerning. Draw this parallel. How are we doing on time? We're getting, we're getting close to the end here. I, I'm going to, um, I'm going to find his thing again. I want to go to the end to, so we can kind of talk a little bit. Yeah. What are those conclusions? Where, where yeah. is he going with this? Because if you're going to open up the, the racist or anti-Semitic can of worms, where, where mm -hmm. is he going with this? Where's he going to go? So, yeah. So he does include in here, I'll kind of stream through or, you know, scroll through his paper and this is just an opinion paper that he published, but about how he's getting hate mail. And of course, some people were are ugly saying things about him being Jewish. I mean, I'm not forgiving anybody using hateful language for anybody about their religion. This, I am not for any sort of racism, um, discrimination, anti-Semitism, any of that. But this is what he is saying is the cause of it, as if people are angry at him over these his um, compelling and pushing the COVID shots because of his religion. That's absolutely absurd. Even if a handful of people have, have gone that route, that's not forgivable, but it's not relevant either. Um, so we're going to go on down to the end. Um, first of all, real quick, before I go there, conflict of interest, Peter, um, he has, you have to publish this. You have to tell your conflicts of interest. Professor Hotez is co-inventor of a COVID-19 recombinant protein vaccine technology. 
owned by Baylor College of Medicine that was recently licensed by Baylor Ventures non-exclusively and with no patent restrictions to several companies committed to advance vaccines for low and middle income countries. It goes on to say that he hasn't gotten any money from this yet, but still he's a patent holder. And I do believe Bill Gates gave him uh, or a research grant on some tropical disease, $520 million, after which he kind of became the poster child for uh, vaccines started attacking people he called anti-vaxxers. But here we go. So um, he writes, turning back the tide on this new political face of anti-vaccine and anti-science aggression or its expanded links to anti-Semitism is not straightforward. Past approaches that focused on providing timely and accurate vaccine information remain essential, but increasingly they are inadequate to overcome this powerful new force now firmly embedded in the politics of the United States and authoritarian governments worldwide. Now, wait a minute, Bob. Authoritarian governments are anti-vaccine? Have you witnessed that? I'm witnessing the authoritarian governments, like increasingly our own, are all pro-vaccine. Quite, quite. (laughs) And then he goes on to say, the same is true for its anti-Semitic leanings. Because anti-vaccine activism is now firmly embedded in national political infrastructures and has moved beyond the health sector, we must recognize how traditional public health approaches will not be adequate for a counter response. Therefore, we must look beyond the health sector to experts in modern socioeconomics and geopolitics. The stakes are high given that anti-vaccine activism is rapidly expanding and taking on an increasingly dark and sinister element. Wow. I can agree with one phrase in there. What's that? That that anti-vaccine activism is rapidly expanding. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is rapidly expanding. Yeah, if you ask that the whole world get vaccinated, the people who push back are going to grow in number. They are going to absolutely grow in number. And we're growing in number. Why? Because we're learning to look at the clinical trials. We're looking at the Freedom of Information Act uh, requested information that is showing um, the fraud and malfeasance. We are attending... um, FDA and CDC advisory committee meetings and hearing uh, researcher, uh, you know, presenter after presenter, I should say, when they're asked about will a vaccine prevent this or is it dangerous in this way? We have no data. We have no data. We have no data. As soon as it goes out to the public and information begins rolling in, we might have some data, right? But now we don't. So the more people learn, and the more they see their friends and loved ones harmed by these products, you know, what they call vaccine hesitancy, I call doing your medical due diligence, Bob. It's med- more and more people are doing their medical due diligence. Um, well, if people just watch a different news channel, they might see some of the early pandemic claims that are being proven untrue, just like mm-hmm. you said at the beginning of this hour. With mm-hmm. masks not being all they uh, would crack them up to be, even uh, even ineffective in some cases, and and similar with the origins, the lab origins, or mm-hmm. the raccoon dog, we just can't make up our minds. So <laughs> yeah. uh, there there are some things that really must give 
uh, even a person who's not that diligent, just give them pause to really wonder what's going on. Is there in fact something desperately wrong? Yeah. Which is what yeah. I, uh, so a lot of people should see. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see, I wanted to share with you real quick here. When you go look at how much energy is being spent on studying vaccine hesitancy, uh, 5,755 hits on the PubMed, the National Library of Medicine, and it's 576 pages of information related to the study of vaccine hesitancy. Isn't that interesting? So we're going to stop that one, and then I'm going to show you another one that is um, vaccine confidence is another interesting one that is here. There, there's 14,399 hits in PubMed for studying vaccine confidence because they're moving away from vaccine hesitancy because it got such a bad rap. Now they're calling it vaccine confidence to put a positive spin on it. And look at the, that study there, vaccine refusal, what we need to know. <laughs> Those are pages, Just go yeah, pages of studies. So what, 10 per page? So 14? Yeah. 1,440 pages, 1,440 pages of that contain information about um, vaccine confidence. They are studying people to figure out how to get them to overcome their medical due diligence. Right? Because right. it's a cash cow. Because if a government picks up your vaccine, they're going to pay for the research, pay for the product rollout, um, pay to mandate it, pay to promote it, pay to distribute it, pay to store it, and then they're going to indemnify you and they're going to handle and pay for vaccine injuries and deaths. And then they're going to analyze you as a crazy person because you're not accepting it. Yeah, it's it's uh, and I got one more that I want to share with you, Bob, that I, I found was really interesting when I was poking around to see, OK, what else are they studying? And I love this one. It is. Natural immunity. Let's see, let me go back and share this one. So uh, in PubMed, there are one hundred ninety one thousand two hundred ninety eight hits on natural immunity. Um, covering 19,130 pages on PubMed. Why? Because nobody, had no, no man or woman on this earth has yet been able to mimic the beauty of the human immune system given to us by our creator. They, they try to mimic it. They study the pants off of it so they can invent a for-profit product to try to mimic it. Right. And what the world is waking up to, Bob, is we need to respect nature and how we are symbiotic creatures. And if we support our immune systems with the elements of the earth and try to live in harmony with microbes instead of being at war with microbes, you know, we we are resilient to infection, resistant to infection. We overcome those that which get us and we invent beautiful natural products or even some pharmaceuticals such as ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, that can safely and effectively help people um, who need that little extra help. But the problem is there's no profit in this. 
There's no profit in telling people, go get some sunshine. There's no profit in telling people, get fresh air. You know, there's no profit in saying, make sure you get adequate levels of vitamin A. And they are trying to make natural immunity illegal. They're trying to make it illegal to choose natural immunity and not get their products. I, I think it's interesting to look at the definition of medical intervention. The way it's normally used is a medical intervention is there to prevent an infection or the, the way that, that they would hope to help you with disease, help you progress mm -hmm. through disease. But when you look at all those search returns on natural immunity, and if you kind of flip the definition of medical intervention to, well, don't forget, this intervention is also interfering or intervening in your natural immune system. Yes. That, yeah. That's how I've been looking at it lately, where yeah. I think the idea, the business model is to inter, interleave themselves for a pharmacy to a pharmaceutical company, sorry, to intervene into the natural immune process, yeah. and patent a portion of it, and then sell it back to you. Yes, exactly. I didn't say that as well <laughs> as I could have, but that but one, I, that, that's really what struck me about a year ago as I was talking about all these other things and they were, you know, they were uh, quashing ivermectin and hydroxy. Yeah. And I hope I didn't get you canceled by repeating those two. No, we can talk about ivermectin and, and hydroxychloroquine on KUOW and CHD TV. Uh, KUOW, how you can't do it on KUOW. I apologize, my beloved KKNW, um, 11.50 a.m. Uh, no, we can talk about that here. There's no censorship here. It's wonderful. No. We try not to cuss and swear on this AM radio station, but <laughs> <laughs> we can say those words. It's wonderful. Um and so you are so right, Bob. They're trying to sell us back that which we can do ourselves. And they they interfere and prohibit um, anything that stands in their way of what they want. I'm going to take a, a couple of minutes real quick, Bob, to give you some great news. Now, out in Washington State, we are working hard. You are working hard with a great team to bring Children's Health Defense, the Washington chapter, to Washington State. So hang on, folks. The website's under development. Plans are in, in, in place. Um, we encourage you that we want volunteers. They're going to need an awful lot out in Washington. But here in Tennessee, today, Bob, today is launch day for the Tennessee chapter of Children's Health Defense. I'm so excited. Um, we have got, I'm going to close this little thing here. Can you see that? There's our beautiful chapter page and we've got a launch party going. So I encourage people, if you're in the state of Tennessee, um, visit our website. It's tn.childrenshealthdefense.org and go find uh, the event. Just click on the events tab and sign up. Tickets are going fast. This is a fundraising event to get us off the ground. We do intend to have some launch, launch party events throughout the state in the coming months. So you can sign up to host us so we can bring Children's Health Defense to you. If you can't make this party, we're just stepping up to make it happen, to bring the education to the people, Bob, in Washington and in Tennessee and Children's Health Defense throughout the nation and the world. The, the answers are with the people. When the people stop feeding the monster, when the people, um, let me go ahead and I got to open this up. When the people stop 
putting their money in the system that's failed and channel it to the system that works. When we all learn to send, stay no. And when we all learn to stand in our truth in our next hour, we've got a young man who's in his twenties, who's standing in his truth. And, and he's, he's sort of the opposite of everything the world's telling him he should be. He's fabulous. We need young people like that standing in their truth. Then, uh, you know, then we can do this. And it's really simple, but hard. And it's very peaceful, but it takes courage, personal courage. And, and Bob, you and I were kind of lucky. We entered COVID awake to a lot of what was going on. And you and I were already in a position. We were volunteers. We didn't have jobs to lose. You know, we had this circle of support where we were. So as we stood in our truth, we didn't really take the slings and arrows that a lot of people did, the doctors and whatnot, right? Um, but others did. And I so admire the people who are my heroes for standing up. We need everybody to stand up. Yeah. And it sounds, looks like we're about to, uh, head into a break. So, um, hope everybody can stick with us during the break. When we come back, we're going to talk to a friend of new friend of mine, uh, Jabri Harrison. So you have been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW on, uh, CHD TV. We're going to take about a four minute break. And when we come back, uh, we'll bring me more and we're going to Go to the positive good stuff. You're going to love it. Stay tuned. Oh, wait a minute. Have I got one more minute? Did I end too fast? Uh-oh. I'm going to, hey, Jabri, let's let everybody meet you because we got. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a
Hello and welcome back to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Uh, so glad you are here with us in that first hour. Um, I covered with Bob Reynolds. Let's come on, bring you all in, in here, Bob. Um, you know, looking at just some ridiculous attempts. I say ridiculous, but they're frightening because some people may believe them. Um, attempts to make um, anybody who opposes vaccination in any amount, uh, racist, anti-Semitic, terrorists. Um, the way to overcome propaganda is to shine a spotlight on it. So we covered that. Um, and, you know, this is what it takes. It takes real dialogue, talking, spreading the word out. And we're just going to throw water on those flames and put them out. And Bob, this next hour, we've got this wonderful young man coming on uh, today here with us. I'm going to bring on, his name is Jabri Harrison. There he is. Hey, Jabri. It's good to be on. Yeah, good to have you here. Bob. So, so um, I want to tell everybody a little bit about how we met. So um, it was walking the halls, you know, I'm wearing my mama bear hat. And I believe at the time uh, you were a lobbyist for Medical Freedom Group um, in, in the Nashville area. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we just would get chatting and just there was just this energy. The thing about kind of this this freedom movement and this movement where you just you see the world going in a bad, dark way. Those of us who who feel like our energy is really directed toward the good. There's this connection that's really hard to describe. Right, Jabri? And you you see a fellow warrior in the hall you know, who's going and talking and educating and we just clicked and debris and I just clicked. So it was pretty cool. Um, I love and call it, uh, it's a language you could, uh, you bump into people and they speak your language and you just know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They just speak our language. And so, uh, so Jabri is an author, a speaker. He's founder of, um, Biblically Conservative, and I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit all of these, um, founder of Heavenly Dose. We want to hear about that. And for a time, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell the audience for a time you were field representative for Governor Bill Lee, but we're not going to talk politics. That's just part of your history here. Um, so, and you're only 26 years old. Is that right? Uh, closely 27. Yeah. 27. Okay. I missed your birthday, I guess. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, tell us if you could, um, back up as far as you feel comfortable telling us, um, because what I found in you and, and throughout this movement, Bob, I think you're the same. Your daughter is fantastic. Oh, I'm not going to bring your personal kid into this, but when you meet young people who are thinking critically, talking, being engaged, and then standing in the truth and yet staying open to learn your things. That's the, that's the salvation of this nation, right? Um, but, you know, you don't have to have been in this perfect life in order to have those opportunities. Jabri, in many ways, you created your own opportunities. So um, I'll just let you go ahead and begin and talk about yourself and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, hopefully I don't get too long-winded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I was 19, um, I had just an experience with the Lord and uh, decided to give my life fully to Him. And so um, after that, 
I don't know if anybody really remembers. I think it was 2017. Um, there was the eclipse that happened. Um, and the moon completely blocked the sun and there was like, it was completely dark. Um, and so I think that was like a metaphor, um, uh, analogy for something that was going on in my life to where the light was being blocked by something. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you realize something blocking the light, you realize how much light is being produced from that source. So when it moves and it comes back, it's kind of shocking. So my eyes were open um, to a lot of different things uh, in that period of time. And I decided to start Heavenly Dose, um, just doing consulting for churches, nonprofits, doing leadership development, pipelines and systems. I really love doing that stuff. I'm a systems guy. I see everything through marketing and branding. That's what I went to school for. Um, And then I wrote my first book. I feel like that's whenever it took a turn um, for the better. I think a book is a glorified business card. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, when I started doing that, I started speaking and going to different churches, going to different nonprofits, and then businesses wanted me to come speak about leadership. And so so through that process, I started to train executive leaders. And they're like, how do you do this at 19, 20, 21? Like what gives you, what qualifies you? I don't have a a business degree. I don't have a seminary degree. Um, (laughs) It was just self-taught and I stayed at home reading a a lot of books. I have like four bookshelves and I'm a self-learner, but I just completely dove into that period of time and uh, grew myself. And then the book, I started speaking about that. Then I got to a point where I was training those leaders and I was speaking and then people just wanted to know about me and, and how did you get to this point? How did this happen? How did the the book turn into this? And I wish I had an answer for it all, um, but yeah. it seems more correlated now but back then it was just little dots and now they're more connected. Um, <laughs> so Yeah, well, I, I just want to say one thing there because this is so important. We're in an era where everybody is being told you have to defer to experts. We talk about this in the first hour and that if you don't have a degree, you don't have the right to speak on subjects. And that is such a dangerous thing, right? To to only give people a voice if they claim they've been through a certain indoctrination program. <laughs> um, and you're here to show us that if you've got a passion and you dive in and you study and you learn and you go into the world confident because you have done the work, people respect that. They feel it. They sense it. Because you're just you're just standing in that. So I just I, I just love that. I just that's why I love homeschooling, um, self schooling. We need to reinstill in this country a love of learning, right? So yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, and I have a love of learning, and I feel like I'm an excellent listener. I like to sit back and absorb things. And during the time of COVID, speaking of that, the experts were saying this, and I was just observing from uh, people like you guys that were in the field doing it and I didn't go to school for it or any degree, but I was listening and there's a lot of things not coming together. 
why they still teach, you know, ivermectin, ivermectin in schools and how to do it. But no, now we can't use this drug and that it was a Nobel Peace Prize winner, but now we can't use it or we can't even speak of it. And a lot of things during COVID didn't add up. There was um, things that I know from my health journey. I was a vegan pescatarian for a while and I really dove in. I had a lot of crazy health friends that uh, you couldn't have anything in your house because everything had something bad in it. <laughs> but when I started thinking about it, I was like, why would we do these things? And I don't even have like a degree, like you said. And I think it's self-learning and then also being aware and then critical thinking. And I feel like a lot of people defer to the experts because they don't want to take the time to actually look into something. Uh, they don't want to take the time to do the research. And maybe you don't have the time uh, to do that. But in your area, I think that you should take time out to really dive into something. And I just guess that's just me. I like to deep dive into, into things. And that's how I got to work with you and mm -hmm. different things like that. Because I was just so fat infatuated about why is this that? Why is this such a, a problem? And and going down the rabbit hole of, you know, following the money trail <laughs> and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so I guess that's just how I got to where I am this far is just really listening and learning and observing. I'll go into a room and I like to sit there for a minute and everybody's just looking at like, who's this young guy in the room? He's not saying much. And then at the end, they're like, do you have something to say? And I'll ask like two or three powerful questions. And instead of asking the little questions from here, here, there to get there, I'm observing, I'm listening, and you answer these questions. I ask this powerful question to get way down here instead of taking that time. So I just like to observe before um, I like to talk. And it's crazy, I'm a speaker. So <laughs> a lot of people don't expect that when I go into a room that I'm just going to sit there and listen for a while. And you got to figure out uh, what the room is like. There's a, a lot of people, even on, I guess, our side, or there's no real side of, of anything, um, but they came in guns a-blazing, and, you know, they're in the, they come into the room with a pistol, and everybody has, like, machine guns and helicopters, and it's like, you didn't come into a room and observe and figure out what's going on. I feel like they really did a, a big push with COVID, um, and they came in guns a-blazing, and they expected people um, not to really pay attention or dive into things. And I really think that it awoke a lot of, it woke a lot of people up uh, using the, the correct. <laughs> yeah, using their awoke instead of wake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so people like me and people that may have not been in this field or in that field or been aware of this, now they're diving into new things and they're like, wow, I have to um, not just trust in, in what somebody's telling me, but actually I have to think for myself mm -hmm. and I have to make a, a critical um, decision because my life is on stake or they're saying my life is in danger. And so things are a little bit amplified. And so that's what I like about everything that goes on. I know that we talk a lot about um, the bad things that went on and tyranny and different things like that. But the people um, that their eyes were open, I think that that's invaluable 
that now we have people critically thinking. And so whenever this, this I feel like this was just a test, um, I feel like when more tests to come, there's more people that'll sound the alarm faster and um, not be duped, you know, a second time. Right. Yeah, there were huge learning lessons. Um, you know, when Bob and I saw it, Bob and I were into this medical freedom, uh, vaccine safety reform movement um, pre-COVID. And, you know, a lot of us were, but we were such a small amount compared to now. And, you know, we call it the gift of COVID um, that so many more people joined us. I mean, we hate that anybody died from COVID or died from the COVID shots, died from the lockdowns, the whole thing. It's awful that it occurred. However, we knew that the cap systemic capture of the world by the medical, pharmaceutical, powerful entities like the World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, it was so tightly knit into the fabric of everything we do. It's woven into all the medical schools all to the elementary schools and colleges and and every aspect of public health and popular culture is being fed this information it was it's so systemic that it took something as big as covid and the ridiculous overreach and these most harmful injections ever pushed out on mankind to wake people up because, you know, human beings debris, we learn from experience, right? Um, unfortunately, we're best learning. We, we, we have a hard time learning when somebody tells us, don't do this, do that. A lot of times we have to touch it and go, Ooh, ouch. Well, I told you, right. You know, it's just human nature. And People have discovered on their own. Bob, do you remember out in Washington, like some of the conversations we would get uh, with people coming up to us new to the movement? And they go, did you know that you can't trust the CDC about this? And we're just kind of chuckling like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you figured it out, too. Right. They learn the hard way. And um, and so it has. It's been this great awakening of people. I love how you, you started off talking about the solar eclipse. That, that is so beautiful that people didn't realize how light it was until the darkness and then the light returned. Um, where do you feel we are right now? Like if we're, if, if COVID was sort of an eclipse, where are we now in the light returning? Do you think? Uh, that is a, a hard question. I, I believe the light is starting to shine again. I think people are um, are coming out. I think people are doing a lot more. You don't see as many masks anymore. And a lot of people, a lot of information, it's so crazy. Um, I, I see these uh, headlines on all the mainstream media now. It's like, well, you know, COVID this and, and all the things that we said two years ago are now coming out, but they won't go back and say, hey, we were wrong back then. <laughs> we, we misspoke way back then. We gave you misinformation. They'll just drop it in there and, you know, slide by it like nothing happened. And so, but I just hope, and I'm more of an optimist. I hope that now we have more people that have, were paying attention that if something else happened similar, 
that we could point back to this and say, hey, they said this then, and then they came out and said this. It's mm -hmm. not that maybe they were lying, but they were misinformed and they misinformed us. So this time, can we sit and observe and pay a little bit more attention and critically think about, okay, this is something new that is happening. Let's, if I don't know about it, even though they're professionals or whatever, they may still be um, discovering new things with what's going on. So uh, I hope and I'm optimistic that the light is starting to return and things are becoming, uh, the truth is starting to come to light. That sounds like a great formula, Jabri, for how to restore trust in public health. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think the key word, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to find a good quote for you. And it includes sit and observe. So Jabri, you're of a generation being 27 years old, grew up with computers mm -hmm. and then, you know, cell phones and devices and video games and movies and texting Every minute of the day, a lot of people in your generation and the younger, they need constant input. It's just information, information, excitement here, something new, something new, right? It, it does not lend itself lifestyle today to sitting quietly and observing. And I believe if we go back through time and we read some of the great philosophers can we include Jabri in there? I'm going to, you're going to have to get a bigger hat size when I'm done praising you, Jabri. But, you know, sitting quietly and observing has always been one of the, you know, great, some of the great advice given to humanity. And we do too little of it, especially our young people. Too little of just sitting and looking around, quietly observing and then thinking and taking it in and processing it. I think that's some of the most brilliant advice um, that could give. Um, you know, Bob and I have talked a little bit in the past. It's something we need to go back to as leaders of different organ nonprofit organizations, trying to reach, get our information, educational information out to various groups. It can be very difficult to create bridges to groups. And so I would like to talk to you, your ideas about how do you, how can we, because we, we're, we're like in bubbles all over the nation. You know, you've got, you know, you've got your very conservatives and you've got the progressives and everybody in between. And, and we we're like compartmentalized away from each other. And we only build community and have a real great republic when we've got dialogue act actively happening. So I guess I'm going to ask you this, if it doesn't put you much too much on the spot for, for radio listeners, audio only, I'm going to tell you that Jabri has dark skin. So he is a black man. We like to kind of joke with each other about this fact, but it is true. I didn't um, know I was black until you, you I, know. I know. Yeah. How about <laughs> I told you that. <laughs> it's so funny. And I got, I got my hair cut today and um, this really nice uh, older gentleman was getting his hair cut and he, 
he was getting it all cut up here, but in the back left a long braid that she was braiding. And he said that he's Native American, but he was very pale. And he said that he's just come over some illness and it had kind of left him pale. It had temporarily taken some pigment away. And he says, I hate being white. <laughs> it's so funny. And we were, we were just laughing and talking about that. But, um, you know, and all that it stood for. And it's so weird that, okay, we're not going to make this all about... Uh, the oddities of, of our judging each other on skin pigment. But I guess what I wanted to know, because you are a young black man and the black community has been so targeted by fear. Um, you will be seeing, you know, like when we go to the Capitol in the Nashville area, if somebody's wearing a mask, it's usually somebody in the black community. Yeah. Um, the fear of COVID has been there. Um, and the push for the vaccine. However, I'm glad to know that the uptake of the vaccine is low because they were skeptical enough and mistrusting enough because of past experiments not to widely accept it. But the fear is still there. They've been targeted. So I guess I'm asking you in your life journey, do you find opportunities to outreach with others in the Black community about what you know and find some bridges yeah, so um, I'm going to try to tie this all in. Luckily for me, at 27 years old, I was in the transition from being outside, throwing football, playing with sticks in the dirt, and, you know, your your mom's saying, go outside and come back at street lights, and you better not be back inside unless it's lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did have that that grounding in my life of being able to create and go outside and be still and be creative and not have something like technology to uh, take my brain and, and keep it for a while. Mm -hmm. But to kind of go forward with that is, yes, I believe like sitting down and, and really learning and growing within yourself is very important. And I, that's the first point that I'm going to make that is very important to grow yourself and you be a learner. The second point is, I don't know how you guys feel because I know that you guys are bold and you guys stood up. Whenever I was going through the first part of COVID, I had a real heart for the doctors that when they were kids that they wanted to grow up and be a doctor. Um, it was their dream and they spent time and they studied extra hours and did all the homework and uh, studied harder than anybody else. And then they went to college and, and went into extreme debt. And then, uh, and then whenever they got, whenever they graduated, you know, through eight years or however long it took them, they spent eight years becoming a great doctor. And then this happens and someone tells you, if you don't push this, or if you don't take this, or you, uh, don't say this, you may lose your license or lose this, you lose credibility. And that's a tough position. And I'm grateful enough that like, I didn't have to go through that. Mm -hmm. But that's really tough. Um, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I love to say that I'm a bold leader, and I get to stand in my area of boldness. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I just want to say Bob and I had this same conversation earlier, because both of us were um, we were just volunteers. He was already retired from his job. I didn't have a job to retire from. And, you know, we were in these bubbles. So when we stood up, you know, 
we were relatively safe. We didn't have careers to lose. We weren't going to lose our home sort of thing. So you were right. So the people who did have to face that, um, it, it was huge. And it has been economically, emotionally, psychologically so difficult for um, these people on this journey who did it because of the attacks. You are absolutely right. So it's easy for me to tell people to stand up. But then again, we are at the 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 point, Jabri, where it's been stand up or bend over is what I keep. I mean, you know, we're done. There's nowhere to hide anymore. You can't just keep protecting your own little corner. Otherwise, you know, the doctors you speak of, they're getting closer and closer to being glorified pharmaceutical dispensers. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Not allowed to think, not allowed to practice the art of medicine. And there's a reason why it's called an art. It's an art and a science, right? Yeah. So to, to tie it all in, uh, me being a uh, young black man, me being uh, born in the generation uh, that I am to where I think Gen Z, there's an argument if it's 1995, 1997, but whichever one it is, I think I was on that that middle ground of getting a little bit of these old traditional things and like the new technology come in. And I think that God has put certain people um, in position to lead in a mighty way. And mm -hmm. And so me being young, me being black, there's a lot of people that are unique and they have the opportunity to stand. And I've been speaking about this all year and I'll speak about it the rest of the year, but the true pandemic is the need for bold leaders. And mm -hmm. I love John Maxwell. Um, I have a picture of him uh, right over here, uh, me and him. And he was a distant mentor of mine. He signed a couple of books um, and I got to meet him a few times and I heard him hours and hours and hours of John Maxwell. But he said, oh, he, I, I, I'm going to state my ignorance here. I don't know who John Maxwell is. I'm sorry. John, yeah. John Maxwell is he created leadership. He has, I think, is an 86 time bestseller. All wow. his books are on leadership. Um, OK. Everybody was talking about managing when he started uh, writing books on leader leading and being a leader. And now everybody uses the term leading or leader, leadership more than managing or manager. Mm -hmm. gotcha. um, yeah. So he always says that everything rises and falls on leaders. And so it's very important that a leader, you can't put the blame on the people below. There has to be bold leaders to lead the way and to be courageous and allow other people to be courageous. Um, not to talk about you know politics, but there were certain politicians in the recent decade that said things in a way that allowed other people to say it. If we're talking about the border, um, where nobody was really talking about the border because that was a sensitive subject, but somebody came out and said, "Hey, we need to protect our border," and now everybody's saying, "Hey." we need to protect our border and this is why, because now everybody's looking into it. There's this happening and that happening. And so great leaders allow a shield for other people to be bold in their area of mm -hmm. gifted. 
in their area of, of work or what they do. And so I think the real key to making the change is real bold leaders to step out and step out of the crowd, me being black and uh, me being a conservative or to think the way that I think sometimes and really say, okay, I'm not going to just completely say it's racism or this. I'm not going to use that card. I really want to know the details. I want to know what, um, what happens in that process of whether it's systemic racism or this, like, you know, what, what, how, when was this law created? When was this thing implemented? What was it implemented for? What did it turn into? Mm-hmm. And so uh, not to bring it to race, but I think everybody has an opportunity to stand up and to be bold and to step out and say, Hey, I'm going to step out of the crowd and, and to rise up. And then that allows other people to be like, Hey, I didn't know we could go that way. You know, uh, I didn't yeah, know that yeah. that was a choice. Yeah. So uh, that's my thinking in this process is that that we need more bold leaders to step out and say the things that we're not supposed to say. And I and I got <laughs> I got the privilege to to meet um, Ryan Cole and Dr. Sibley and um, mm-hmm. and uh, Robert Malone and all these like leaders. I got to meet a lot of them and all these leaders that were stepping out. Um, I'm sorry if I leave it out some names. I have oh, that's I okay. a long, long list of them that I, yeah. that I met, but um, they were stepping out and they were saying the things that, oh, you're not supposed to say that. But then it allowed groups to use their information and, and their wisdom uh, to fight and, and to tell people in their neighborhood or tell their friends. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot of uh, people that I know that weren't even involved in any of this. They were like, Hey, I was on that, listening to the Joe Rogan podcast and Mm -hmm. (laughs) -and so-and-so was on here. I was listening to um, Candace Owens and they were on here and I didn't know that stuff. Like you said, like, Hey, did you know we can't trust the CDC? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so um, I think that's, that's the key is there's a lack of, of bold leaders. And I believe that God has created everybody to be unique and have their own fingerprint. And in the world, they want you to fit in, but God wants you to stand out. I love that. Say that again. Say that. <laughs> uh, I always say in the world, they want you to fit in, but God has called you to stand out. I love that. I'm going to have to write that down later. That's very good. Um, I I had a couple of notes here that I've got sit and observe. And what you're saying is, I I love it. So first, educate yourself. Learn what you can. Sit and observe the world. And when you lead, it's leading by example, right? You're not going and telling others what to do. You are, when you go speak, it sounds like you're sharing your life experience and things that you have learned. And thereby, you know, one of my favorite expressions is when one man stands up, 50 more grow a backbone. I think that's what you mean by leadership and good leaders. They're not tyrants. They aren't forcing you to do stuff or telling you what to do stuff. They're, they're just showing you that, like you said, like, yes, there is this other way. And yes, it's okay to stand up and speak your truth. Um, and it's okay not to be perfect, right? There's an awful lot of people not, like you said, the, the media will just quietly start slipping in truths 
There's no mea culpa. No, oh gosh, we were wrong. They just start, you know. And really, we need some humility in this nation, and we need people being um, standing up and saying, "I was wrong," and I'm. I'm not going to, I'm not going there anymore. I'm sorry who I hurt. I'm moving forward, right? I can have grace in my heart for somebody who learns, changes, you know, expresses some, uh uh-oh, we've got a amber alert on Bob's phone in Washington state, (laughs) or it's a silver alert, one of the two. Um, There he got it. Um, So anyway, so yes, I love this. So lead by example. We do need, we do need more leaders and COVID chaos, we've seen such bold leaders arise, people that we never expected before that um, are now leading the way. And they do, the more who speak up, the more who stand up, the more people feel brave to do it. And there comes that wave. And that's why like in the first hour, this awful paper was published um, by Peter Hotez because they're trying to shut this down. This, this great awakening of the human spirit and the understanding. <clears throat> okay, you got to say it one more time. I got to write it down this time. Tell me again that thing about the world wants you to uh, what? In say the world, that. they want you to fit in. world wants you to fit in. And you to fit in, but God wants you to stand out. Yeah, but it's not with like... It's not with arrogance. It's not with um, power at heart, right? Yeah. It's it's with. Go ahead. Because I mean, not to. I could name a list of scriptures, but um, you were knitted in your mother's womb, and so every fingerprint is uniquely different. You're uniquely different. The time period that you were put in is uniquely different, and so I think, and you have been. You've been given gifts, talents, skill sets, and things acquired. And that makes you extremely unique. And so if you're fitting in, you're if you work really hard, you're above average. But if you are working in your giftedness and your skill set and your talents, then you're in the 1% because there's nobody like you. So I think that that's more of, uh, like you were saying, it's not a, um, a prideful thing or uh, kind of all these things is really just who you are. It's just being. It's just I am who I am and I wear, um, you know, white in the winter sometimes. <laughs> and to stand up and, and be that the kid in school that, you know, somebody make make fun of or whatever, just being yourself is very uh, important because you stand out and and doing that in a graceful way, like you said. Yeah. Being trying to be your best self. We we often compare ourselves to others and feel like we don't measure up, you know, not as rich as that person, as smart as that person or whatever. And sometimes we beat ourselves up for that or we get competitive and want to like write and be better than others. One of the things that I I find so wrong about what's going on right now in in the whole woke side of things where they're trying to they're trying to say they're trying to elevate certain aspects certain individuals in society by pushing down others and that's not how I was raised. I was raised to believe that you you get equality 
and you get justice and you get fairness by lifting people up to where you are, not pushing them down so you can clamor on top, right? That's that's not right. <laughs> but I feel like that that's not what's happening. There's not this, the words seem to be equity, inclusion. They sound noble, but in practice, what's happening is if you don't conform to what the world wants you to be, and you dare just be completely yourself, um, then then you're condemned for that. That's not inclusion. <laughs> That's pushing down one group to elevate another. We all need to rise up together. Yeah. Well, I can't believe I'm saying this, um, but somebody sent me a podcast the other day. Yeah. And, um, I reluctantly listened to it, but it was Stephen A. Smith. And I think he was on um, Ed, La- Ed Milet's show or uh, one. Of, yeah, I think it was Ed Milet. Not something normally I would listen to. Uh, but he said a, a key key part. He kind of uh, stepped into the, the the piece of, hey, if I step into a room and something doesn't happen for me, if I worked hard for it, it's not because, you know, I was black that I didn't get the job or anything like that. But he was he did say something and say that whenever black people go into uh, somewhere or into a job or on a platform, it's a lot harder because a white person could go do that job and nobody's going to call him and say, hey, you need to stand up for um, uh, so-and-so that got shot or you need to stand Mm -hmm. up for equality and and all these things. It's something that is a big pressure going on um, to black individuals that are in leadership or have a platform to stand up for all these things and everybody has an opinion on what you should think or what you Mm -hmm. should say. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's really important to take time out and and just focus on what you're given and what you've studied and what you've learned and what your experience is. Because I can't go on somewhere and, and speak about racism. Because um, in my in my journey, I may have experienced it. I, I may have, but I, that's not the way that I interpreted or experienced it for myself. Hmm. And so can't speak on that. All I could speak is my experience in life. And I think we're taking these experiences that are not our own um, because nobody, I don't think anybody alive was slaves or, um, you know, owned any slaves. So we're taking on these experiences and we're adding that too. And I really think that's really important for, um, for, I guess anybody to take time and, and really speak of, don't be a echoing, uh, a echoing bird of what you, the headline that you read mm-hmm. or things like that. But really, like I said, either take the time to, to speak on what you've learned or not speak on that subject. Amen to that. Yeah. Just, you know, go, it's, it's back to the pride in the individual um, not an egotistical pride, but just being yourself. And, you know, um, I've said this several times, you know, growing up in the 60s and 70s, and there was this big movement to just try to treat, not judge anybody by tint of their skin, color of their eyes, any of that, just on their actions and and who they are in the world. And I feel like we've gotten away from that. 
um, that we're trying, they're, we're trying to be forced to see difference rather than just seeing a human being and observing, as you say, and learning and appreciating um, and just kind of working together, you know, um, this is what we need. This is, we need more dialogue, more, more conversation. And I'm kind of getting a little bit back to those bridges because these divisions, Jibri and Bob, we've seen the divisions grow intentionally. They've been trying to put a divide between us to make us see divisions between each other and to convince people um, that this group is bad and that group is good and to see that and trying to find those bridges of bringing each other back together. I think a lot of it really happens in person. Like, in fact, there was this one legislator's office. It was so awesome. There was a young woman in there who is an LA to a new legislator and, and she had the LA legislative assistant had always worked for Democrats and now she's working for a Republican. And it was the most amazing conversation because it's like they were getting along great. They were finding their rhythm together. And even if she didn't always align with, you know, what he was doing, there was the mutual respect, you know, and he was learning from her dialogue, communication, being together, it I guess it takes us getting all in the same room, doesn't it? Right? I love that. I sit down with um, all types of people from uh, <laughs> a different spectrum, uh, just all over, and I'm talking to them, and they would never know, you know, if I'm con conservative or not. I, most of my conservative opinions are because of the things that I've, I've learned and the way that I could articulate it. And most of the time they agree. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, it's that whole thing. I don't know if you guys have seen it. If you see like a YouTube channel, the guy interviews people on the street and like, hey, what do you think about these policies? And they like these Biden policies and they're like list it all out. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're awesome. And they're like, actually, that was Trump's policy. <laughs> <laughs> well, like it's kind of that, that same thing when we get into the room and we don't allow things to uh, polarize the, the room and we just really sit down and say, hey, we really have all have the same problems and we really want to solve the same issues. It's just a way to, to do it. And um, mm -hmm. if we don't use the rhetoric or the, the backbiting, I think we could sit down and take the steps necessary and say, hey, this is the problem. We may not agree on how to get there, but this is where we need to be. And I think that's the important thing because I sit into I sit in a lot of different rooms and say, yeah, that is a problem. You know, I mm -hmm. do agree with you. And I think it, like you said, it takes humility sometimes on both sides. I really hate, you know, how both sides. I think we lack humility sometimes. We don't want to say, hey, the other side's right. <laughs> you know, they yeah. may be right on this thing. Um, and so, really, just saying, hey, okay, I agree on that part, but I disagree on how we need to get there. Uh, but let's take what steps can we take to uh, get to that place? And I know that lobbying, I've experienced that a lot of, OK, this is the end goal. What what steps can we take? What amendments can we add on um, to get to this place if we don't agree on this one amendment or this one thing? So, yeah, hopefully 
too long-winded. <laughs> no, this is this is so um, fabulous. And, and you know, Bob, this is going to be, you're going to think this is awfully funny here, but one of the great educators for how to be able to find, acknowledge the good, even if you disagree with other things, you know, to find that is when you have to quote the CDC. Because I often quote the CDC. But you got to know which parts you can quote, because if you if you quote over here, you're getting truth. If you're getting over here, you're getting marketing messaging and it's not supported by science at all. Right. So it can be really interesting because people will say, Bernadette, why are you quoting the CDC as well? So because sometimes they tell the truth and sometimes they don't. And so you have to go there because they're the biggest game on the planet as far as, you know, accumulating um, all this information on various subjects. And so you just have to have that discernment. But I think that that experience of sometimes trusting what they say, but always being a critical thinker and sometimes not, I think that's really helped me in all these other relationships, because I try really hard. It's like go into the office of, of somebody or I meet somebody at a group and, you know, we, we disagree over here, but it doesn't make me throw that person out as a potential friend because if you can find that good common ground, you know, as long as you're not too disparate on some really key issues that, that are like lightness and darkness in this crazy world. Right. Um, you know, you 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 learn that it's okay to disagree here and there. So I've learned that in my journey to to have those more complicated relationships, and um, in all aspects of my life, and not just completely throw somebody out. Because most people, we got people at the top, Jabri, right, and Bob. We got people at the top that know the harm they're doing, and they're pushing down all this information, and all these. And a lot of people are being like being played. They don't know they're being played. And um, I, I, you know, I want to be there when they wake up and realize they're being played. And um, yeah, so it looks like we've got, we've got about like five or six more minutes to bring. You know what I want to do here is I'm going to go over to Amazon and look at this. There's a book called I'd Rather Be on an Island by somebody named Jabri Harrison. Is that you? That is me. That's you. So you want to tell us a little bit about this book because you mentioned it. Um, you mentioned earlier that you wrote a book, so here it is. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you wrote it? Yeah, so I wasn't good at reading or writing growing up. And through my process with God, I feel like God just downloaded a book and I was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know where to start. And I just trusted and everything just worked out completely. Um, so it is an allegory um, about about you. You get shipwrecked on an island and you go through these spiritual disciplines with the island thing. So that's uh, a little bit about it. I won't give too much because I really want to plug in my next book. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather be in heaven. I uh, should be out really soon. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's kind of the same play on words of I'd rather be on the island um, you shortly realize that you can't be on the island by yourself because you need people um, and people help you learn and grow. And um, 
and then I'd rather be in heaven is I hear that a lot like, oh, if I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, like that's the goal. But the main goal is to bring heaven on earth and doing that through a process um, of allowing God to use you in a mighty way while you're here on earth. And so you're that vessel. You may be the only Bible that somebody reads. You may be the only light that somebody experiences. And so um, it's your living out your purpose and God's will is what you rather be doing uh, than going somewhere and having escapism. You know, the world's dark and it's a dark place and these things are so much evil, um, but you are the light here. And if all the light left, it would be complete darkness. I got the chills to breathe. <laughs> that was really, <laughs> wow. The, such beautiful, inspirational words. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that book. Now, I've had your, your Kindle book that I'd rather be on an island for too long. I need to read it. I got to find a window of time to read. <laughs> and then I'm going to read your next book. You said it's coming out soon. Yeah, and um, the book is way shorter. It's it's real quick, and you get to hear me a little bit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. I'll have to get the audio book because I got time when I'm driving to Nashville and back. You know, four and a half hours each way. So <laughs> I'll have to go ahead and get that audio book to to get it in. Will there be an audio version of your new one as well when it comes out? Uh, I haven't made that one yet. Uh, that was. It's a long uh, process <laughs> to do that. Uh, yeah. It's. It was some. It was an experience that. Uh, that took a little time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, in a hundred years ago, when back when I was writing fiction, um, I had some mystery fiction out there and it's on audiobook, but I didn't read them. Oh, well, first of all, my main character is a professor of electrical engineering from the early 1900s. And my voice does not fit Professor Bradshaw. So uh, Blackstone Audio recorded it with a wonderful deep voice. But I love that your that your voice is what we will hear when we hear your words. I think that is so uh, fantastic. Um, some of the most powerful books were audio books. There was a Pulitzer Prize winning book that um, was written. I believe he wrote it in only like six weeks. He was, again, it's like a download from God that he wrote, um, Cry the Beloved Country. Did you ever read that? Um, it was um, in South Africa. It was just such a powerful. And I read it once myself and it was, I, I liked the book. But I mangled the language because I didn't hear it in my head with the right expression. Because I'll just give you like the first sentence was like, in my head, it was like, I rode along the Limpopo River. But no, then I got the audiobook and I listened and it was like, I rode along the Limpopo River. And it was like, oh, that's beautiful. I'm calling it Limpopo, right? Like I couldn't pronounce anything right. And then when I heard the this wonderful accented reading it, it was like, okay, this is poetry. And I had mangled it in my head. <laughs> so anyway, okay, I'm babbling now. So two minutes to go. Bob, any final questions for our guest? Well, I think it's amazing to hear that you're a 26, 27-year-old lobbyist. So I've been walking the halls in our capital for five years, roughly now. And twice your age, I get really nervous. And I have a hard time putting my thoughts into eloquent phrases that you seem to be able to. And I think a lot of our uh, listenership here in Washington State, we try to get them active politically. 
do their own lobbying, you know, be that personal voice going in to talk to legislators. Do you have any, uh, you probably have answered some of those questions already, but do you have any advice for that citizen who wants to have their voice heard and, and how to go forth uh, with confidence and, and make a difference? And you got like 30 seconds. Yeah. So I got the opportunity to be a part of the Tennessee legislative report card. So in my first year being up there, so I got thrown into the fire and I had to learn every uh, committee. I had to learn every member, every thir there's 1300 bills. I had to learn everything. So uh, just really learning the system and you get confidence from uh, knowing what you know. Confidence from knowing what you know. Perfect way to end the show. Jabri, thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back next week. Take care. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.